Welcome to this edition of Labor Vision. I'm Bob Delaney, Executive Director of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. Labor Vision, a production of the Institute, focuses on topics of importance to working Rhode Islanders. We hope you enjoy this edition. a production of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. I'm your host, Erica Hammond, and joined with me today, we have State Representative David Bennett and uh, Rhode Island elected organizer for SEIU 1199, Emmanuel Falk. Thank you so much for joining us, both of you. Thank Thanks you for having, having me. Us. All right, so why don't we start off by having um, you, Representative Bennett, uh, introduce yourself, talk a little bit about the area that you represent, um, and a little bit of your background. I know that you've spent years in the health uh, healthcare industry, so if you yes, want to talk about that. Well, I, I represent Warwick, part of Warwick, District 20, a great section of Warwick. Um, I've been a nurse for the last, well, I've been in healthcare since I was 17 years old. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I feel it helps me up at the state house um, when it comes to medical bills and, and different types of uh, physical therapy bills, stuff like that. Um, and I'm also very you know, concerned with labor and minimum wage. Um, we, you know, I'm the youngest of six kids in my family, and um, I think it's important that people you know, have enough food to live on. I mean, we just got the raise of 11.50, but I don't think that's a living wage. Mm -hmm. But it's better than what it was as long as we keep progressing. But we really need to get to a living wage. And you just briefly highlighted it, but you want to talk a little bit more about that increase mm. in minimum wage? I know it just took place a few weeks ago. Yeah, it hasn't been signed by the governor yet. But mm -hmm. um, they, um, when you raise minimum wage, these people spend it right back in the economy. You know, they don't, they're not people that are going to take off and go on vacation up, in, up north somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, their big vacation is maybe going to Scarborough and, and you know, it's local stuff. That's where they spend their money. Um, they, you know, in the dollar an hour may be that, that thing that puts them up where they can buy it something extra. You know, you know we, I used to say, it's like, you know, the difference between hot dogs and a hot dog with a bun, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Cereal and a cereal with milk. Um, anytime we increase the, our lowest earners' um, pay, every I think everybody does well. You know, the businesses will tell you, "Oh, no, no, it hurts my business." But um, those people, same people, spend their money at that business if they're that type of business. I'm, you know, and um, we would like to see people raise the wages on their own, but you can't count on that. Right. You know, they just don't do it. And um, I know you've been a critical part of raising the minimum wage for a number of years, starting back in either 2012, maybe 2010, mm -hmm. right? Um, how was this process a little bit different? I know that at the end, there was some different amendments. Um, can you explain that process a little bit? Yeah, well, any, when I went in, it was 735, and we started increasing. And I was lucky enough to get the bill, you know, and um, because of my relationship with SEIU and, mm -hmm. and seeing people that, that work for low wages and um, it got me interested in, in helping that progress. And this year I ran a bill that would automatically bring it up to $15 an hour and um, 
by 19, by, yeah, by 2020. Mm -hmm. And um, 2022, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and they didn't want to fly. The, the, the management and, um, well, I negotiated to 1150. Yeah. And without the increments, um, but, you know, if we went to the increments and they were saying they could go to the index, um, and it's complicated because then the, the General Assembly loses the control over raising minimum wage. It goes to like DLT and they put it on an index. If we have a good year or a good few years, you know, they get raises. But if we start having a bad, you know, going into another recession or something, they're stagnant. They stay. So at least this way, you know, we can say it's too, the, the, the economy's not right for to raising the minimum wage this year, we'll raise it next year, you know, and, um, you know, it's something I hold dear to my heart that, you know, anytime you can put food on people's plate, help them pay their bills. Mm -hmm. Think about that, 1150, think about living on 1150, you know, that's a dollar raise for them. But I mean, I, I, just a gas in your car or getting to work, uh, you know, buying food. Right. You know, it, it all adds up. The winter time, and if you have oil heater, mm -hmm. you're using more electricity. I you mean, know, it, it's, it may only be forty. It may be forty dollars a week, but that's at least for me. That's my gas tank. So yeah. that's putting gas in the car yep. right, for the week. Yep. And, uh, and it makes it, a difference. You know, and it, it's like when you get a raise at work, you feel better about yourself. You know, you you feel you the company cares about what you're doing. You know, and when the state raises minimum wage, it it does it has the same effect. Mm -hmm. People feel good. They feel like they're they're doing something in the job. And these jobs aren't minimal. You know, they're not. Um, they used to be entry level positions, but with the way our economy is going, now people are supplementing their, their incomes by grabbing these small part time jobs, um, which are minimum wage. And some people work a full time minimum, minimum wage, wage plus a part time minimum wage and, and you know they're, they're trying to make ends meet and um, the more we can help them the better our economy would Absolutely. do. All right and on the on the topic of increased wages Emmanuel I know that you had uh, a victory in the State House last year with um, increasing wages of direct service providers for individuals who care for those individuals with disabilities. Uh, do you want to speak on that a little bit? I know that you were uh, mm -hmm on that legislation as well. Yes. Um, you guys want to talk about that? Yeah, well, and I just want to thank you for having me on the show. Um, you're doing a great job with the show, thank Erica. You. And it's great to be on the uh, Mardi Gras special edition of uh, right. Labor Vision. So, thank you for being here. Um, you know, Dave, Dave talked a little bit about the minimum wage increase, and I, I do want to talk about the wage increase for um, caregivers who would take care of adults for developmental disabilities. But I want to, I want to really recognize the moment we're in where, you know, low-wage workers from around the country for several years now have dem been demanding a higher wage. Um, the fight for 15 started when a few dozen brave workers in New York City that work in fast food went on strike. And, you know, fast forward to, to now, we've seen $15 an hour pass statewide and in many states, New York, our neighbors in Connecticut, Massachusetts and California, and ultimately we think we need to get there um, on, a, on a faster track, and, and we support that. And it's great to be on the show with Dave, because Dave is a, is a champion for working class folks. He really is a working class hero, and um, he's been working on this issue for a long time. A dollar is a, is a great start, but we really do need to get to 15. Right. So l last year, we, um, we 
for a long time, we represent workers uh, along with some other unions. Uh, they're called direct support professionals. Um, they take care of adults with developmental disabilities. We represent uh, the workers that do that up at the Arc of Blackstone Valley, um, who are in Pawtucket and spread out through the uh, Blackstone Valley. Uh, these are folks who really have answered a calling to take care of one of the most vulnerable um, uh, set of residents we have in this state. Um, and you know, as the, uh, the population with developmental disabilities gets older, it's the direct support professionals that really take on more and more of the role of the family um, as, mm -hmm. as, the, as the clients, as their parents age. You know, a lot of the clients are baby boomers now, their parents are, are, are passing away, and, or themselves in a long-term mm -hmm. care setting. So um, we have a set of upside-down priorities where the workers that do the work, um, you know, they're making around between $12.50 and $13 an hour. Um, that is an embarrassment for the state. It's an embarrassment for the, um, it, it really shows a warped set of priorities that we have as, as, uh, as a state of Rhode Island. Uh, so for the last several years, we've worked together with other unions and some community groups um, to try to pass legislation to increase, um, increase wages. And we were able to have success with a lot of help from allies, especially in the House, like Dave, um, going to the leadership and saying this is an important bill. And, we were able to win an increase in the budget. Um, it worked out to about a dollar, and then some of the union facilities like ours were able to negotiate for about a dollar thirty an hour. It was the biggest increase these workers have seen in over a decade. Um, it's still not enough, mm -hmm. so we're going to be back back at it again because we really should value the work that these these workers do. I, I would sorry. It's all it's hard work they do. Oh, I mean, you have to be a special person to to, to work in this field. And um, the wages are like sec almost secondary mm -hmm. because they're dedicated to these people. You you know you you start a relationship with them, you know, and they're with them every day. They have to, like I was saying earlier, they have to clean them. They have to get their food ready. They have to dress them. Uh, they really get to know them really well. And you can go to McDonald's and make the same money, you know, and pushing hamburgers. And these are people, you know, and and. You really get discouraged when you, when you hear some of the stories. You know, you go to the the same roots and raise the raise the bar, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, you know you hear their stories and you're like, wow. And they don't want to leave that job. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to stay, but they should be paid. And you look at you know myself being a nurse. Well, I'm sorry, I, myself being a nurse, I know that that um, it's hard work. Absolutely. You know, and it's and you. Continuity of care is so important to these people. A stranger comes in, you know, and they, they, they get nervous too. I mean, they're gonna, they don't know this person. But a person they know, the person they can rely on, the person that 40 hour a week is there to help them, improves their lives. They're like, oh, you're here, and they're happy to see you, and you're happy to see them, and, and that's the way it should be, mm -hmm. you know? And, and we have to recognize that, or we're gonna, we're gonna keep shortchanging these people. Yeah. Well, while we're on that topic, do you want to highlight a little bit more about the legislation on the um, staffing in home care facilities, I'm sorry, in nursing home facilities? Yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah. So um, a big priority of ours um, this year, we represent um, uh, close to 
900 nursing home workers in the state of Rhode Island, um, thousands between Connecticut and Rhode Island, and then nationwide over a quarter million nursing home workers. Uh, we did a survey of our membership um, in the build up to a contract year at six of our nursing homes in, that we represent in, in Rhode Island. And usually when we do a contract survey, it's, you know, number one is, is wages and, um, you know, healthcare is usually number two. Well, this year when we, we did it for the, the contract build up, um, our membership and the CNAs that are on the front lines of this um, and other support staff in the nursing homes, uh, the number one issue along with wages was a need to improve our staffing. So um, we took that very seriously. Um, we did some research and were um, appalled to find that Rhode Island is the only state in New England without a minimum staffing standard uh, in, in New England, one of only 11 in, in the country. We had one for a while, and then Kachiri got rid of it through the regulatory process. So what's happening in our nursing homes is a lot of the nursing homes, not all of them, are squeezing profit by putting more work on, on the CNAs to the point where um, uh, residents are not getting the care that they deserve. Um, and so when we dug into the data and some of the federal staffing data, uh, not only do we not have a staffing standard, but um, seniors in the state are only on average getting about 3.2 hours of care per, per, per day. There's nursing homes that are above that and then a lot that are below that. That, that is not enough. We, that and there's is, no standard for that at the there's, moment. There's right? no standard. That's just the data that we've seen has it at 3.2 hours. Again, lowest in New England, and we're actually below the national average. Wow. Um, and it's really not fair, fair to residents. And um, we hear from our members heartbreaking stuff of how you know residents are like, you're not spending enough time with me. Nursing homes can be like lonely, um, yeah. Lonely places, and you know, families can't don't get there all the time. And again, just like the DSPs, the CNAs, and the nursing homes really take on some of that social role of of the family. So um, we, we've submitted legislation. Uh, uh, Rep Representative Bennett is, is a co-sponsor on it, and um, we want uh, a minimum staffing standard of, of 4.1 hours. We think nursing home residents deserve more than that, but we think that's a good first start, and that's the federal guideline that is, is recommended by um, uh, uh, CMS, which is the okay. federal entity that does uh, Medicaid reimbursement. So we have a big campaign. A lot of the nursing home industry doesn't want to see this change, but um, we're bringing together community groups, residents, and workers um, to win that. And as part of that legislation, we also want to win uh, a living wage uh, for, for these workers because the wages are, are too low. Um, we have the same problem that we have in, with the DSPs is um, people are not staying in this field and we mm -hmm. can't attract new people because the, the pay is not high right. enough. If you walk around in a nursing home today, there's not a lot of um, young people doing the work because they come in, they have to take care of 12, 13 people. Um, you know, 10 years ago, you become a CNA, you go in, you take care of eight or nine people on a, on a right. shift. And we got to get back to that. Absolutely. And that's, that's the goal of the legislation. All right. Well, in the interest of time, I would love to bring you guys back to talk about this, especially we'll continue the conversation about the staffing. Um, and it, it would be great to have you guys both on again um, very shortly. It's very soon. So thank you both so much for taking the time to be here. Um, thank you. We'll see you soon. All right. All right. For those of you who are just tuning in, uh, you're watching Labor Vision. You can watch this episode on our YouTube channel, which is Labor, Labor Vision TV One. Uh, thank you so much. We hope you have a great day.
Foundation of the Institute for Labor Studies and Research. I'm your host, Erica Hammond, and join with me today to talk about their recent victory in Situate as well as what comes next are both uh, Nick Carnavale and Joshua Homerston from the Situate School Custodians. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Welcome back, I should say. Yeah. Um, and so I know uh, you were here in early December when the first conversations or the first letter came out about the privatization, um, the possibility of privatization in, in the district. So I'm pleased to have you both returning with some exciting news. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about the, um, the recent school committee meeting? Yes, uh, on Monday recently the, the school committee decided to have a emergency meeting to decide whether or not to privatize the custodian staff at okay. Situate. And ultimately, they decided to keep us. Um, unanimously. Unanimously, right. yeah. Congratulations. That's Thank awesome. Thank you. And uh, I know that this vote changed, right? So it was, um, it was supposed. To, this meeting was supposed to be a certain day, and then they switched it to sooner, uh, right? Yeah, March third, they were going to have at the normal school committee meetings, mm -hmm. but they decided to push it further along. I'm thinking because they just wanted to end it mm -hmm. and get it over with. Mm -hmm. And they had already made their decision. Okay. So there's no point in waiting. Right. Holding it off. And I know that a lot of that push, that rush to maybe move it forward and they wanted to stop. Maybe it was public pressure. I don't know if you guys want to talk about the community support um, that you guys experienced throughout this Oh, yeah. Fight. Um, community support was the biggest thing for us. Um, it was. I don't want to say a surprise, but we were definitely um, taken aback by the amount of support. Yeah. Um, so the meeting was supposed to be March 3rd, and they moved it, like Josh just said. As far as we know, it's just because of pressure. Mm -hmm. um, they moved it. You know, most of their meetings happen in, in the library in the high school, mm -hmm. which is a very small space. And for the past, was it now, four or five months, we've been filling up the library. Wow. Uh, so they finally took hint and moved it to the auditorium for this okay. last meeting. Uh, we had a, a great showing of people. And again, the community is the biggest thing. I think it was such a driving factor. We right away had seen a change um, when we received the letter about privatization. It was a letter simply stating that they're looking into privatizing because they don't have enough money. And the community had contacted them, so, much, so many parents, teachers, you name it, contacted them that immediately the conversation was changed to, okay, we'll privatize, but we want a company that will keep all of our custodians. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in the end, we just, it's a huge, huge thank you to the community yeah. is, is overall what we want to say. I think it's incredible. I mean, you mentioned before that you guys were, you may have been surprised or at first when you realized how much support you had for the community, but I think it's always a surprise when you find that people are really valuing the work that you're doing. And I thought that was incredible of Situate to really come out for you, like come out and show up for you guys, right? Oh yeah. Um, one of the things, as custodians specifically, is we always know we're kind of in the shadows. Mm -hmm. You know, as far as we know, people don't know what we do. People don't necessarily see us that much. When we're there at events, that's about it. They'll they see us the extent, cross by. Right, the extent yeah. of what you do. Yeah, so it was, again, just that, that support was 
was incredible. That's awesome. What was what were some of the ways that you got the word out about this possibility of privatization to get the community support or uh, to make them aware of what was happening? We created a website, Save the Situate Custodians on Facebook, mm -hmm. and immediately people started joining up. It was just like a fireworks. It just exploded. And then we also went and made lawn signs, over 200 lawn signs, Save the Situate Custodians. Mm -hmm. And within the first week of 100 signs, they were gone within four days. Wow. Uh, and that's from people wanting to pick them up That's because people wanted them, them so bad, yep, to, to support us. Uh, we did flyers. We went down the streets to all the stores in Situate, in the town. And every store we went to, all the vendors, they were, all, they were happy to take our, uh, our flyers to support us, right. which, is, which was awesome. So mm -hmm. everybody in the whole town was behind us, everybody. Right. And I know that, I'm sorry, we, I didn't give you guys a chance to introduce yourselves for those who didn't see the December episode of, or the December segment of this, but I know you both grew up in Situate, you both went through the Situate Public Schools, mm -hmm. and um, can you talk about that a little bit? There's a s very significant piece in being, working where you grew up, working in a school that you went to, and you guys aren't the only ones of the custodians, right? Who right. That's the same situation. There, I think it's about six of us mm -hmm. that had gone through the school system itself. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, if you really want to look at it that way, you're not, we're not just guys who show up at a job. We're guys who show up at a job in a town we live in, at a school that we've gone through. Mm -hmm. So, I, I know something that Josh and I talk about all the time is seeing the progress that the school has made since we've been there and just little things like a cafeteria being updated where we look at that and go that's not what it looked like when we were here this is awesome this is yeah. this is upgraded the kids nowadays don't necessarily know what the school has come from but mm -hmm. we do and it kind of adds that little extra extra bit of um investment i guess you right. want to say into our building well we get to watch the school grow mm -hmm. from when we went there to what it is now is huge it's mm -hmm. Every year it gets better. And as custodians, we want to make it better in our way. Mm -hmm. The cleaner we keep the school, we feel the better and the more people want to be at the school. Because you don't want to go to go to work every day and have to wade through trash, through the hallways. Right. Right. You know, you're not going to want to be there. Mm -hmm. So the cleaner we keep the school, it keeps people there. And it was incredible to see. I know that on the Facebook page that you guys had created, you kind of highlighted different members. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that was incredible because the community really got to see everything that you guys do. So it, I, at least the one that I'm thinking of, I saw um, one of the individuals, I'm sorry, I, you may know his name, but um, he was helping one of the students off of the bus. Uh, Jeff oh, Spicer. Jeff Spicer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's not just uh, we come to work, we clean up the halls, and we leave. Like it's yeah. there's so much more to well, it. Jeff Spicer knows every student's name in that school. Yeah. Now you can't put a price on that. No. 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 And to think of a a group coming in and not and just giving you guys an option to interview for the position and not guaranteeing that you'll all have a job is, that would have been unfathomable, I feel like, for a lot of parents, once you can see how invested all of you are. Well, yeah. And the wages. The yeah. The wages yeah. that the, the privatized companies, they're 1150 and the highest paid is 1350 That's almost an $8 pay cut for us. 
Uh, yeah. It's impossible yeah. to live on that. I mean, even if you were guaranteed the job, who can stay in a job in that job, right? Yeah. And be able to afford to a living. That's not a living wage. When uh, when we got the RFPs, we started looking through them, and one of the biggest things that that came out to us was the fact that there's so many parts of our job that, uh, like, like Joshua said, just knowing kids' names. You, you can't put a price tag on that. You can't ask for that in an RFP either. Mm -hmm. There's, there's uh, the, the human elements of our job that you can't ask a private company to, to be able to do or, or to, to, um, guarantee. to guarantee, yeah. yeah. Um, so when we were comparing these RFPs, uh, our first thing that we actually started looking at was just, do these guys do the work that we do? As a uh, just job first level. And then after we got through that, when we were noticing there's parts of our jobs that are missing, we started to look into the actual, um, the other parts, the more human elements of the job, uh, who these companies were, and that's a, a big part, I think, of why we had such a great win and um, put so much pressure on the school committee because we, we were doing our homework. Right. We were really, it, it, they brought up something, so rather than 100% trusting their word on everything, we decided let's look into it ourselves so we can keep questioning them on things that are questionable <laughs> <laughs> within all of this. And uh, it, it definitely, it definitely paid off. Yeah, I mean, I would commend the school committee for sure. I, they went from a 5-0 vote, right, mm -hmm. to see these RFPs to a 5-0 vote rejecting them. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, the uh, the five-zero vote, the first four the RFPs. The school committee just wanted to get numbers, and that's why they voted 5-0. But then, when they got the RFPs and they read them, uh, or the contracts from the private companies, what they were going to do and what they were going to pay and how they were going to treat the, the schools, the school committee decided this is not right for, for Situate. And ultimately, they all voted 5-0 against privatizing and to keep us. They're not going to take, to save the school department, they're not going to take the skin off the back of their workers. Yeah. And that's something to definitely appreciate them for, right? They saw the value in the work that you guys are doing as well yeah. because they rejected it. We're, we're grateful uh, that they actually, in a way, threw away that numbers game. Yeah. And were looking at us as people the mm -hmm. way we were hoping this whole conversation right. would be. They put people over profit this yeah. time, and that's awesome. Um, now, I know that there's, this isn't where the fight stops. So negotiations come next, right? And there's definitely going to be opportunity for the community to continue to stay involved. Mm -hmm. Do you guys want to, before we close up, you want to talk about that briefly? Yes. Um, next is we need to get another contract. But seeing as how we went through all this stuff here, well, we're not really looking to get really much or anything. We just want to roll over our old contract, fix some of the language in it, and then move on. And in three years, we'll see. See how the school's doing. And if they're doing well, we'll go back to the table and maybe we'll be able to get a little something. Okay. We want them to know that we're willing to work with them. Mm -hmm. we're, it's, not, it's not two entities butting heads. 
And in the meantime, the, situate, the Save Situate Custodians Facebook page will remain open, right? Oh yeah, we're gonna just kinda tweak the name of that and convert mm -hmm. that just so that it'll just be a community page. Mm -hmm. So the, the community can continue seeing what we're doing yeah. and uh, we can continue pushing all that forward. And when we clean during the summertime, we'll post videos of before and after shots of the classrooms in the mm -hmm. hallways so that people know exactly what we do. That's great. And I know it would be really interesting. I wonder if anyone, maybe any viewers who are watching, have photos of what the school maybe looked like in the past when you guys were there. That would be really cool to do a before and after kind of shots. Over the years, That would be yeah. really cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I want to thank you guys both so much for coming back on the show. Um, and I wish you guys all the best luck uh, moving forward with negotiations and I really just want to congratulate you. You guys did some awesome work and I think you really pulled the community in together. Great. Thank, Thank you really very great. much. Thanks for Sorry having us. Being here. Thank you guys. For those of you who are just tuning in, you're watching Labor Vision. Um, thank you so much for being here. We hope to see you back here next week. Have a great night. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Labor Vision. We appreciate your input and encourage your comments. Labor Vision can be seen on this channel three times each week, Tuesday at 7 p.m., Thursday at 8 p.m., and Saturday at 5 p.m.